Thank you to the worship team and all that they do as well. Man, it's good to be a part of this church. <laughs> First Timothy, chapter 1. Surprise! <laughs> and you wonder why it takes so long to get through books. Yeah. First Timothy, chapter 1, 8 through 11. The reason being is um, we've been in Mark 6. Paused, parked, and plotted through the process um, over so far 13 verses in Mark chapter 6. But um, I want to try to make a connection today uh, with what's transpired. Um, there is so much to glean in where we've been uh, through the book of Mark uh, to rudimate on. To We've seen the structure of how Christ set up ministry and church and, and those structures of the kingdom as teaching and preparing, empowering a group of men and his disciples. And then he's going about deploying those um, men out into the countryside to to multiply ministry because there's, the crowds are huge and it's one person and it's all been Jesus up to this point and they are being sent out now. That's where we are. We talked about the mechanics of what that looked like, why he did what he did. He sent them out by two. The point being is, is don't go by yourself. Don't go alone. Take someone with you through this process. The idea of the gifting that he gave them to overcome miracles, all those physical ailments, um, the compassionate gifting, uh, not any, like anything else that the, the nations were doing, but this is specific to people on a personal basis. And so they were gifted to be compassionate. He sent them out in this first part of Mark to live dependently. Remember, don't take anything with you. And this test of watching God provide for you through the time that they were sent out to be content in all he's doing in you and through you with a little or much knowing that God is over all things all of them good things hard things bad things to be discerning as you go into the world and that's really the connection I want us to make this morning sheep to wolves to be obedient not to shrink back and are destroyed as Hebrews says those who have faith and preserve their souls. We don't shrink back. Even in the midst of what they were facing and all the, the uh, uh, cultural issues that they were facing, these 12 men facing, uh, we have to understand that they were being asked to be sent out and completely upend everything that these people knew in their Jewish history. To turn it over completely. You know how hard that is? Ladies, you know how hard it has been to you know, transform your husband? <laughs> like that, just in culture or vice versa, or your kids, or big whatever, or your employee, or your boss. It doesn't matter. When you're trying to ask someone to completely upend what they think they know and go, no, that was for a time, and now Jesus has fulfilled all of that, and he is sending them out. Lastly, we talked about even in the midst of all that, the turmoil that they were going to face eventually, that they are accountable. We are accountable to each other as we lead with the gospel, to bring the gospel to bear where we live, work, and play, but also accountable to the Lord. And so Jesus was sending these 12 men out, steeped in this theology, steeped in the law of Moses, the traditions of Moses, and the some 600 things that they added to try to be the right people, to do the things, all the external things. They're steeped in their own piety, because we're, we're sons of Abraham after all, what more do we need? That was the thought process in part. We do all the external things to make God happy so we can be blessed, in other words. So they were a chosen nation. God chose them to give 
them, this group of people, the oracles of God, to disseminate, not just so it stuck with them, that they were just became this pool of all this God knowledge, but it was meant to be shared and gone out to all the other nations so they would be distinct and say, you come to us. We share what this knowledge of, of the true and living God. That was the objective. So they could be blessed and be blessed too. Those 12 were being sent out into that to declare that people should repent. People that thought they were good. They were ready to see God. They, there was no need for us to repent. Again, we're, we're Abraham's offspring. They missed the mark. See, God doesn't want any more sacrifices of bulls and goats and outward rituals and that kind of thing, even though he's the one that sent them, set them up, all leading up to this point. Everything is leading to the person and ministry of Jesus Christ. Everything is being drawn to the cross and the fulfillment of him. And Jesus is asking them to go turn this thing over and explain the kingdom of God completely. A carpenter. See, that was the Jewish culture, in essence, in a nutshell, that they were going to face. To ask and it's a big ask. And it's the only thing that God can do. You don't, get, you don't do this. You don't get to change someone's heart. You, you can have gospel conversations all day long, but he's the one through the Spirit motivating and challenging them. But that's the task in Mark 6. It's asking someone, again, to rethink their entire worldview, everything they believe, everything they've been taught, and it's the same today. We need to be prepared in light of what just happened Praise God. I'm excited, right? But it's just the beginning. If you're watching what's taking place and what's being said, and we need to be prepared. We need to be ready to be bold while we still have the ability here to speak the truth of Jesus Christ with our lives, with our words, and what's left of our freedom in this nation. You may be thinking at that point, I'm overstating the point, but I don't think so with the overturning of Roe, which is a blessing um, to this nation, and you're seeing the reaction and all the energy being exploited and exploded. <laughs> you see it in other areas. I have one. This was before the overturning, but we'll get to that later. If you, uh, Jack Del Rio is a coach of the Washington Rescues. This is how this, this works. Uh, they have since changed their name to uh, the Commanders. It's strange, by the way, that they got rid of the Native Americans and kind of went back to the slave owner thing. It's kind of odd to me. <laughs> anyway, he was fined $100,000 for calling January 6th a dust-up and the 2020 summer of riots and BLM and all that for, for just saying that. $100,000 fine for speaking the truth, in essence. We are now told not what to think anymore, but how to feel, it seems to me. We used to be taught in school how to think. Here's the, here's the means in which you, you process your thought process, laws of logic and all those sorts of things. But now it's, this is how you need to feel about history and how you need to feel about things, such as January 6th, which has become a show trial. There's no justice in any of that. There's this, everybody can see this. There's just pushing this point. We see both 
ideas. You're seeing it with the overturning of Raid and Roe and Roe v. Wade, this expansion of all this energy, and we're going to be defiant. We don't care about what the Supreme Court says. Again, fair enough. You're going to lead with your heart, just like Jacob said. The beautiful thing about being a Christian is love doesn't need any law, according to Scripture. When, when you do that, you've perfected the law, in other words. But what has changed and why secularism is so dangerous is it's not just in our government, but it's now in you know, corporate America. And I've had a few conversations with some of you, but I believe you all feel this. You may not get fined $100,000 for your opinion or sharing the truth. But fairness, truth, justice, love, men, women, virtue, honor, all words in this culture that have no more meaning anymore or we can't define them like we used to be able to do. It's interesting, this is not new either. You remember Pilate? When he's standing, Jesus is standing, truth? What is truth? It's interesting to me that, again, the wisdom you see in Scripture, there is nothing new under the sun. It just gets recycled. Because each generation needs to come to terms with who Jesus Christ is. What you and I are experiencing in this nation, we have been given a great light, if you will. And we have sinned against that great light. And we will be, I believe by God's glorious grace, set up as a monument in history for all to see to what happens when the people are blessed in the freedom of worship, sacrifice, coming to a place, all manner of hardship that required to, to accomplish that, and you are, I are the beneficiary of that some 300 years later, now rejecting him outright. In other words, there is no objective reality it's just yours to make up when you get to that point. The point here is, is we need to be prepared, and that's what I want to share with you in First Timothy. We always need to lead with the gospel, as Jacob mentioned in his thoughts. We don't need more laws, we just need more love, and love we need to do is to make sure we understand what that term means in the sense of the gospel, how it's defined through Scripture, to be prepared to give an answer of the hope that is in us, And then whether by God's grace he grants us a harvest or renewal in this nation or not because he doesn't owe us anything. If it's grace, it's not owed. So if we do see revival in this land, which I'm praying for, you're praying for, if we do see this restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it will be only because of his goodness and grace to us, not because we deserve that at all. And so we will continue to plant even if it means for a future harvest when we are all gone at some point for your grandchildren or your great-grandchildren so don't think we deserve any relief from god otherwise it wouldn't be grace remember paul neither he plants nor he who waters is anything but what god's the one doing the increasing we are sent we are the ones gospel-minded we are the ones moving We are the ones sharing in love, regardless of the cultural attitude. Those disciples that went were facing insurmountable odds, and we are today facing the same odds as Christians in this nation, I believe. Just like those 12 men did, Jesus said, not just like the early church did in the first century, 
So you have to ask yourself, at least I'm thinking, are you excited? <laughs> Isn't this cool? You and I are now living pretty much just like the first century church. How about that? Does that excite you? Or are you like, oh, what are you talking about? Well, let's get to 1 Timothy and let's get there. How about that? 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8. And here's the whole point to today, really. You and I are being sent with the gospel. Therefore, you and I must be prepared. And I'm just going to walk you through this. Verse 8. This is Paul's letter to a young man, a young preacher. Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Understand this, that the law is, uh, is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and the disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their father and mother, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, whatever and whatever else, is contrary to sound doctrine, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God, which I have been entrusted. It's exciting because we are right in the middle of where we're supposed to be as a people. It's kind of like being in the suspense novel, don't you think? At least that's what I was thinking. You know, you're, you're reading it and you haven't finished the end, so you have no idea how this is going to play out. We, we have no anticipation of, we, we know what we, how we want it to go when you read a good book. But God has everybody in this moment and this time exactly where he wants us. <laughs> Not unlike Elijah facing all the prophets of Baal, screaming, yelling, just like what you're seeing today, this weekend. All those prophets cutting themselves and he's mocking them. Is, is your God in the bathroom? And where is, what's going on? It's taken all day here. Come on. <laughs> There's a lesson that we should learn in that conversation too, but we'll have to save that for another time. So here's Elijah's point when you go to 1 Kings 18. How long will you go on limping between two opinions? If Yahweh is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. You got to pick. You as a Christian especially, you can't play halvesies here. The lines in culture are getting ever so cleaner and crisper where you will be forced to make a decision, if you haven't already. That is the issue, by the way. It's always been the issue since the garden and to this day. Choose whom you will serve. Listen, if Jesus rose from the dead, what is the ultimate standard of all things? He is the ultimate standard of all things. Remember, by what standard? We've gone through that. Everybody has one. Nobody's neutral. Everybody has a foundation that they're building their life on. And all you have to do is ask really good questions to find, to find out what that is. Try to burn through all the emotion and get down to what they're st actually standing on. And nine times, well, if I can't, it would be probably improper for me to say a hundred times out of a hundred. <laughs> but I'll say it, a hundred times out of a hundred, they are borrowing from your Christian worldview. They have to in order to survive. So if Jesus rose from the dead, he is the ultimate standard. Not just in spiritual things, by the way. We talked about this. You can't compartmentalize it that way. Not just a church thing, not just a religious thing, but every aspect of your life. If Jesus defeated death, claiming to be God incarnate, then there is no other way to the Father. None. He is the final answer to all of life. 
every part of yours, every square inch of the universe and the moment, the, the piece in which you occupy and your person belongs to him. David made as much. If I go to the depths in Psalms 139, you are there. When you knit me together in my mother's womb, right? When I, if I ascend to the heavens, you're there. If I go to the depths, it doesn't matter. He is there. He consumes it all. He is your creator and sustainer of all of life. Every breath you breathe in and out, every heartbeat you exert comes from his sovereign power. And when you have those conversations, you might want to add if you're talking to somebody. So when you can do those things, when you can create like God created, when you love people enough to lower yourself uh, from your kingly glory in, in this consuming aspect of who you are, the God nature to come to earth, to be like us, to lower yourself in that sense. When you live holy, when you die, when you're resurrected, when you ascend to heaven, when you rule on the throne, when you can do all those things, maybe we'll talk. <laughs> but until then, he gets to define the standard of life, all of it. If you think you can have any wisdom apart from him, then we will continue to spiral down where we are as a nation and the depravity and destruction, and not just here, but all around the world. Which is why we need to lead with the gospel. Jesus is that standard. So the question becomes, how prepared are you? How prepared are we? My son is in the military for a little bit longer. They train all the time. That's what they do. If you've been in the military, it's like you just train and train and train and train. Is that right? Again, I have to live vicariously through him because I was not in the military. But the point being is you get so used to this that when, when that happens, your, your whole body just knows what to do. And, and, you, and they just drill it into you and drill it into you and, and they're prepared, in other words. And that's the same idea we have here in our Christian life. You have to have the confidence when those moments arise to step into them. Should I say something? The person that's standing in front of you in line at the grocery store or at work, or do I just let that slide? Do I have the confidence and the boldness to have a gospel conversation or to totally hack them off? <laughs> and then I won't be liked. Maybe. That's possible. Boy, if I say something, I might get fired, or I may not get fined $100,000, but who knows? Those are the lines in the sand that you and I have to deal with now. So I want to give you an example of, of this process, um, one that we have to been facing and have to face, and that's what's in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8. There was a documentary made a year or so ago, maybe. It's uh, called 1946, The Mistranslation That Shifted a Culture. It's a documentary movie or, you know, uh, thesis in essence, the thesis of which is when the Revised Standard uh, was translated um, in 1 Timothy 8 through 10, they inserted an anti-homosexual bias that wasn't found in the translations before this. And so that, and because of that, and because people see that, that has led to all the issues we have today with respect to our sexuality. All the non-affirming churches and all those who have those issues because it's just been misinterpreted. That's the thesis of this movie. Why again this example? Because the people you're working with, the masses, 
They'll see a snip of this on TikTok. They'll listen to it. They'll watch it. And it will show itself up in a conversation that you will have and probably already have had at some point. It will show itself in whether you believe this is trustworthy, whether you actually process in your own mind that what I have, what I'm reading, is actually what Paul and and God wanted to communicate in his word. Is it trustworthy or not? It shows up there. And the questions that will follow. How, How can you trust a dusty old book? How do you know it to be true? Can anyone really know? And all the doubts that they want. So we need to be ready. There is no other choice for you and I as Christian people. Just a side note, if you would like to, specifically with homosexuality, take a deep dive, there's a good book called The Same-Sex Controversy. It goes into far more depth than what I will today. But it's a very, it's a very well done book and, and shows the arguments on both sides in Scripture as well. But here's the good news. There is no reason why any of you or me cannot be prepared for us to know our scripture, to know that the Holy Spirit is working in you and through you to have these conversations, to correct the falsehood and go right on then sharing the gospel. It is an open door to be able to share the gospel. The term we'll look at is found in uh, verse 10. Sexual immoral men and those who practice homosexuality. The term homosexuality, there is arsenikoite, that's the Greek word. It just means homosexual. And this is the first time Paul is using it. So this is something that you and I have to be prepared for, to be ready to respond. He's combining two words in the Greek, arsonos and koitain. Arsonos means just male. Man is what it means. Koitain or koteo means what men do with men in bed. Where is Paul drawing all of this from? What Bible does he use? Well, he's writing Timothy or he in the process. But Paul is getting this from the Greek Septuagint. It's the, it's the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament is where he's getting this from. Specifically, where he's going to is Leviticus 18 through 20 is where he's going, known as the Holiness Code. That's where he's going. Both of those terms are used there, and so he's combining this. So I want to walk us through this and why this is so important because Paul's not cherry-picking. Go to verse 8. What does Paul say? Paul says this, the law is good. What law is he referring to? The Ten Commandments is what he's referring to, right? Where does Paul get that? Leviticus 18, 19, 20. He's laying it out more specifically. He's using the same context, the same idea, and Paul connects this law to Timothy here in this letter. How does he do that? He walks, verses 8, 9, 10, 11 is all Old Testament in this section that he's writing to Timothy. He's restating the Ten Commandments to Timothy in this process. So he's connecting it. How do I know? Who is the law for? What does Paul say? It's not the just, but the unjust. Well, how do you know what's unjust? Again, there has to be a standard. Everybody has one. Everybody has a moral compass of some kind that God put in them. And Paul's drawing his from the Old Testament. And anyone who would have read this or shared this with Timothy or Timothy would have immediately understood where he was going when made the connection with this concept in this section. So watch. The law is good if one uses it lawfully. Understand this, that the law is not laid down for the just 
but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and the profane. Who is unholy and profane? What, what, what is that? Well, if you remember the Ten Commandments, what's the first commandment? Have no other gods before me. He's compressing all this, so there's not, this is the first commandment, this is the second. He's compressing them all right here. Have no other gods before me. No images and don't profane my name. He's combining the first few right there. He's going to skip the fourth one about the Sabbath, but he's letting them know. That's what this is. He goes on. The fifth and the sixth are combined. Don't strike your father and mother. Don't murder, in other words. Honor your father and mother. He goes on. The seventh is about sexual immorality. The word there is pornea, where we get the porno- where word pornography from. No adultery, in other words, or men who practice arsenicoite. They're all combined. He's not singling anything out. It is all this idea of what our sexuality was for, what it was meant for, and anything outside of God's prescribed design is sinful. He goes on. Enslavers, what is that? Well, don't steal. And practically speaking, this was the forcible or stealing or taking of people to enslave them as captives. You don't steal. You don't bear fault. Witness, liars, perjurers, and then the catch-all phrase at the other, whatever is contrary to sound doctrine. Do you see it? He's responding to Timothy. Look, this is the Ten Commandments. This is where this is coming from. So what does that mean to this young preacher? What does that mean to you? It means this, is that in this case, in this idea, what this movie is trying to describe is, hey, they put that in there, so you can't trust it. It is all off. But that's not the case. The practicality is, is that homosexuality is a sin, just like all others that Paul places around this letter in this context, period. Drop the mic, do whatever you want to do, but that's it. But here's the objection. Yeah, but, but Paul didn't really know or understand our situation today, obviously. And if you hear that response or something like that, you're probably talking to someone who doesn't know or hasn't studied a lot of Greek culture. And everyone that gets confronted with the truth, I do it, you do it, we all do it. If there's something that we're struggling with, we all have an escape mechanism, I believe, for us to wrestle with or to self-justify to not have to deal with the truth, to go around it, to not deal with it in good faith. Again, no one is neutral. I've had a lot of students in my 30-plus years of ministry that have questioned their faith, which is normal. Everybody goes through this process. Is this real? It's helpful even for them to do that because they're wrestling with really good questions. But as long as it's used lawfully, as Paul says to Timothy, as long as... It's the pursuit of truth. But sometimes when I've pressed some of those students, it's really not, that's not the issue. The issue is God is getting in the way of their sinful life. And my sin is fun, after all. And in many cases, it has to do with pornea or my sexual desires. So I have to do something because I feel so guilty. So I have to remove God from my life because I can't deal with the guilt. It's easier to convince yourself that there is no God or that he really doesn't love you and therefore it's okay to be disobedient instead of staying with God's prescribed idea of sexuality to repent of that, get married, 
Uh, that's a little scary, though. But the bottom line is they just become truth suppressors in order to avoid the guilt. Paul connects this term arsenokoite in 1 Corinthians 6.9. That's the other one in the New Testament. And even when you go there, it's really important for you to connect it to chapter 5 because he's dealing with something else. It's not just plucking this out. All in chapter 5, he's dealing with this incest that is taking place inside the church, this pornea that's taking place. How do you know that's wrong? Well, you've got to go to the same place Paul did in Leviticus chapter 18 through 20. So you get to the end of that section in chapter 6. Here's what Paul says. Do not be deceived. The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. People who engage in this life, people who are steeped in sin, need to hear the gospel that this is not part of their life. It doesn't have to define them in the way it does. But you cannot be deceived. They will enter God's kingdom only by repentance or his eternal wrath and judgment. You may, in your Bible that you're looking at, may have the word effeminate. It's malakois. It just means soft. So in some of the older translations, it has, they're split out. And why is that? Because in Greek culture, manliness was important to them. There was always a dominant, aggressive male. That was, that was what you wanted to be, not soft. And by combining those two words, Paul is saying there is no distinction in this type of relationship. It's out of order according to God's divine plan. There was never a, a mistranslation that this documentary puts forth. Another objection you'll hear is, but wait a minute, wait a minute. Paul wasn't talking about the same kind of relationships that we're trying to talk about today, the ones that we want you to accept and celebrate, the monogamous loving relationships. That'll be the rebuttal. And depending on what study you look at or all those statistics, one half of 1% of those relationships are monogamous. Promiscuity is the norm. That's the world you and I live in, right? That's the world you are going to leave here today and go be sent out in. And we are called not to be scared, but to do it with courage, with boldness, and do all things in love but it won't necessarily be received. You're going to leave here today, stop and get gas, maybe stop at the store or see someone you know, and they'll say, hey, what have you been doing today? Oh, we're just coming from church. Hey, is, is that an affirming church that you go to? Now you know exactly what they mean and what they're referring to. Here's a response I would suggest. Again, Dr. James White. He does a very, he's a debater too. He's very good. You should look him up. Actually, we are an affirming church. We affirm that God is good. His law is good and Jesus came to save because let's be honest, you and I are both not so good. <laughs> or maybe you've heard another option. Hey, are you part of a church that hates people? Well, no, of course not. The most loving thing we can do is tell you how to escape the wrath of God. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the most loving thing I can do, is to share the gospel with you. Or, is your church one where you accept the mistranslation of homosexuality in the Bible? 
so you can preach hatred? Are you referring to that TikTok video or the 1946 movie documentary about the mistranslation of homosexuality when Paul uses it in 1 Corinthians 9, 6 and Timothy 1? Are you referring to that? Which, by the way, he wrote from the Old Testament, drawing from the Law of Moses and the Holiness Code. Are you referring to that one? If you get that far, they're going to be deer in the headlights. Because all they did was watch a 30 second. Well, is TikTok more than 30 seconds? Now I don't remember. That's all they've seen. And they're just parroting this. They have no place to go. What's the point? The moment you enter into that or someone says that, what should that mean to you as a Christian? Green light, gospel time. <laughs> It's to lead with the gospel. Now, if you're just trying to win an argument, you've forgotten a couple of the principles we talked about being sent a few weeks ago. And here's where the compassionate gifting comes in. To love the sexual immoral, to love the homosexual, and anyone else to lead with the gospel. See, Paul finishes in 1 Corinthians 6.11, he says this, and such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Do you see how he connects the gospel to it? If you're all in a rage about what's happening, you're watching the news like Jacob said, I appreciate that, how he set that up, is, is what's happening because Roe gets overturned or, or this, and, and basically they're just, you know, throwing up their hands and, and forgetting whatever you know, our laws say. It's just lawlessness. Can you get angry? Sure you can get angry. But that's not what you and I are meant to do as Christian people. In my anger, I'm not supposed to what? Sin. Well, what's the best place and thing I can do to avoid that anger and let that fester and burn and go, what's going on? You're destroying this. And, and focus on the gospel. That's what it is. You have to turn all that angst of what you think you deserve as a nation and what you've been blessed with and what, what we've grown so accustomed to to know at any moment that can be taken away and God will be justified in doing it. The heartbreak that would lead to you and, and, and the blessing of what you and I understand and know as a life here in this place. And what messes us up is when we focus on those things, the D or the R that you're voting for. It doesn't matter. I'm an equal opportunity offender. But we will lead with the gospel as best we can in our insecurity and in all of those things that we try to do knowing that God is right there with you and he's the one causing the increase. Another one of those arguments will be what they will try to do. You'll, you may have heard this. I have. It wasn't, and such were some of you, it's, it's such are some of you. Huge difference. But what does Paul say? Do not be deceived. You cannot be deceived on these things. Listen, there is no manuscript, by the way, anywhere that we have of the 20,000 plus fragments and all those manuscripts that we still have. We don't have originals, but we have multiple copies, which is a good thing. None of those say are. They all say and such were some of you. It is in your past. Those sins are gone. To the world, I would say this. I am a new creation in Christ. Hallelujah. I was that. I used to be that. I remember that. But I'm not that anymore. 
God declares me to be right and justified. I am what God wants because of Jesus Christ. The Spirit of God says that you can be changed, that you can be transformed. He is the God of hope. At the cross, you see the hatred and evil of this world, but you also see this immense love that God has for a people who hate him. By the way, to the world, what are you offering me again? See, the same God who prepared those 12 men to proclaim the kingdom, to turn countless others to himself, husbands and wives and families all serving in the kingdom together to be his hands and feet, to a world still then and still now that is careening its way to eternal, eternal judgment is now sending you. He's sending me. Each one of you has a circle of influence where the gospel needs to permeate, where you need to share that message, where you need to understand some of these things to be prepared to give an answer when those questions, certainly if you have kids in high school, they've heard some of this already. This is what they have to deal with. Give them something that they can use. Give them the ammunition that they need. Walk them through these things. That's not true. This is what Scripture really says. You have to be prepared. You've been called, remember? In the name of Jesus Christ. Listen, if you haven't repented in faith and believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, then today is today for you. If you are sitting here and if you've been coming week after week, Sunday after Sunday, and you still haven't come to terms with your own sin and repented of that and believed in Jesus Christ, that he is who he says he is, that he is the son of the living God, then you are still dead in your sin. Repent, be baptized, let go of this world and save yourself. As I was preparing this, I remembered an old hymn. I grew up in a small church, and that's all we sang was hymns, in part because my mom could play the piano, and my dad was a song leader, and he always had one speed. I don't know much about music, and Jacob can help me out, but whatever 4-4 four, four is, my dad was like, double that and sing it fast. Sing it loud, sing it fast, yeah! So I remember sitting in the back seat in these conversations and my mom going after him was like, not every song is like that. <laughs> there are slow ones. That's not my dad. <laughs> Here's one. It's by Francis Rowley. I will sing the wonder story of the Christ who died for me. How he left his home in glory for the cross of Calvary. I was lost, but Jesus found me. Found the sheep that went astray. Threw his loving arms around me. Drew me back into his way. I was bruised, but Jesus healed me. Faint from I from many a fall. Sight was gone, fears possessed me. But he freed me from them all. Days of darkness still come over me, Sorrow's path I often tread, but the Savior still is with me. By his hand, I'm safely led. He will keep me till the river rolls its waters at my feet. Then he'll bear me safely over where the loved ones I shall meet.
Yes, I'll sing the wondrous story of the Christ who died for me. Sing it with his saints in glory, gathered by the crystal sea. Man, I love that. Jesus did that for me. He'll do it for you. He will transform you. He will transform your family. He will transform this church. He will transform this community. And yes, should he give us the grace, he will transform this nation once again. But it will be only by his power. It will be only by his grace. It will not be anything other than that. And he will be the one getting the glory, not who is in office or not in office or what laws will be. We will deal with all of those things. But we will be true to the gospel of Jesus Christ here in this place and expect that from one another as we move into this life. On a daily basis. If you are a follower of Christ, be encouraged. Be assured of the hope that you have in Him, that He will deliver you whatever He's going to ask of you, whatever comes tomorrow, whatever the rage is this summer, whatever's going on with everybody else. What they need is the gospel, what they need is a transformation. They just don't know it yet. So all they have is the screaming and yelling and the carrying on. That's all they have. But you and I have something more. Something we're sharing. Something they need to know. Are you prepared? Father, thank you. Man, thank you for the grace that you give us. That you've given me. Father... We have this life that we live and you've granted us life and by your good grace there is a battle now brewing even harder about giving life to beautiful newborn babies. And so we're thankful for a decision that came. But Father, that's not the end. That is only the beginning and we recognize that as your people. And you've given us this life to live faithfully before you to hear your voice, to be your sheep, come what may. God, I pray and ask that you pour your grace out on us here in this place. That we would continually love and learn to love and forgive and grow in our understanding of the gospel here. That the joy that we experience as a family of Christ here in this place, in this community, will be so evident to all. Many might be confused, many might be angry, but one thing they can't accuse us of is not loving one another, not loving you. So Father, whatever comes, give us the wisdom and the discernment to be prepared. Father, thank you. Thank you for the privilege that you've called each one of us in Christ to go speak the truth in love to share the redemptive message of the gospel of Jesus Christ that he alone can save what a joyous day it is to share today Father thank you for saving us in Jesus name